it's nice to be able to, to, to grow. Now you can grow your practice and you're not limited by, you know, those four walls. You know that you can be flexible because in dentistry, things change so rapidly. And if you don't have the ability to bring in a piece of equipment because you have no place to put it and then you can't touch a wall because of your, your, your landlord, it's so much better to have control over your physical plant because your physical plant supports your business. And if you want your business to grow, you can't have one limit the other. So that's, I mean, that's just my dumb thinking anyway, and that's how it works for us. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Today's podcast interview is with Sonny Spera, a dentist that has built his practice into five locations. He shares his experience with his first practice purchase to building a property from the ground up. He talks about lessons learned and considerations for other clinicians to consider when becoming a physician owner. Well, Sunny, welcome to my podcast called the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. And uh, That's thank a you. Mouthful. Yeah. Thank you for having me on yours a few weeks back. I appreciate you coming up. Thank you. <laughs> so um, we'll start with just a little bit of background about you. Um, so you're 100% New Yorker. You've, you've finished your undergrad degree at Syracuse on a basketball scholarship and then went to SUNY yep. Buffalo for dental school. Um, do you want to share some of your background that isn't in your bio with the audience? And um what did you get your degree in, undergrad degree in, at Syracuse before you became a dentist? My undergrad degree was in chemistry. And in chemistry, as most people know, you got huge labs. So I took the general chemistry and organic chemistry. I had to take in the summer because I couldn't get to basketball practice and take <laughs> those courses. So as as a result of keeping that and a full-time schedule during, during school year, I was ready to graduate in three years. So I had to add a second major which I figured, all right, well, I'm taking a bunch of psychology courses. Let me do that. So I took a second major in psych. So I was a chemistry major and then a psychology major. I'm the youngest of three kids. I have two older sisters. And in the Italian family, that's the sweet spot. Be the last born male child and life is good from there on in. Yeah. Are you well taken care of? <laughs> um, spoiled rotten. I have two older sisters that looked after me. And then when I got married, my wife was like, you guys ruined him for me. <laughs> and she's had everything she can do in the last 36 years to try to get me out of some things and bad habits. It ain't working. You got a lot of untraining to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what's funny is she's making my plate for me at this at the uh, reception. And my sister's like, why are you doing that? And she was like, because you used to do this for him. And now I have to do this. <laughs> and I was like, hey, thank you. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Okay, so you um, so you own five dental practices in Southern New York and Northeastern Pennsylvania with yes. six, do six doctors and 60 staff members. Well, seven doctors total, but yeah, oh, six seven. doctors okay. plus me. Yeah. Plus you. And yep. um, and you didn't you say that your son is becoming a dentist? 
Yeah, my son's my son's in with us. Yeah. Yeah. So. So I want to talk to you about how you built up to five practices, um, and because I see a and it, particularly with dentists, but you know some other clinicians as well, where they they are presented with a practice that might be underperforming, or the dentist is selling it because they're he he or she is in a de- different age and stage of their life. Sure. And the real estate is wrapped into it. I know, I know. But the price is so attractive that you get really excited and motivated about it. But then, you know, like for instance, right now, uh, there's a lot of sale leasebacks going on or, you know, the private equity market is buying practices and, you know, these clinicians are then now trying to sell the real estate and they're realizing that when they bought it, there were some things that they didn't really pay attention to that are now causing the sale of the real estate to have some issues. So, um, so when you were presented, when you, so did you buy your first practice or did you build a building and just open up your own practice? No, I, I worked as an associate. I worked for two young dentists for two years. I started in August of 1989. My son was born September of 89. Um, and I started practicing. So I was working for these two docs and I have my daughter's born in May of 91. And then October 91, I bought my own practice. And I initially intended to say, why don't we buy this together? And this will be, you know, we'll just make this, you know, we'll have two offices, whatever. And they wanted nothing to do with it because it was out in the, out in the boondocks. It was out in the country, which was six miles from their practice or no, it wasn't. It was about two or three miles from their practice, but theirs was kind of in downtown Binghamton. And this was out in one of the suburbs, very close to the Pennsylvania border. And I just said, I, I think I can make this go. And then I, I always felt like I was going to run my own ship at some point anyway. And and the the partnership track there, it wouldn't have been a partner. It would have been a president, vice president. I would have been secretary. And I, I <laughs> that's just not my, yeah, it's not, it's not my DNA. I, I would much rather be driving the car than either a passenger or in the Italian family in the trunk, right? I would <laughs> rather be driving the car. So, um, so that, that was a decision that I made. And to your point, I think when you were looking at the practice, because this came up, this was my first practice. So this was it. So I'm all in. I'm borrowing money from my father-in-law. I'm borrowing money from my dad. I'm at the bank. I'm borrowing money there. The, the owner carries some of the paper, et cetera, et cetera. And he was in the basement of a, of a raised ranch, right? So you come in at the garage door. There's a little cubby door next to it. And you walk downstairs and that's how you get to our office. And it was a four treatment room area. And I had a decent amount of people that came with me and he had a pretty busy practice. He saw a lot of bodies in a short amount of time, which I was going to change, but needless to say, it was, it was a busier practice. So I said, if I do this right, we're going to grow this thing, you know? So he wasn't selling the real estate. He was selling the practice, Mm -hmm. but the real estate, he wanted me to, to buy it like in five years. And he wanted a five-year lease and I, and I'll never forget. It was at the closing. And my wife said, we, we're not signing this, this five-year lease. We're not going to be there five years. Like, we're outgrowing this place. And sure as hell, she was right, of course. And I hope she listens because she knows she's right. I'm hearing me say she's right. And and my attorney was like, yeah, we're, you know, we're giving you your asking price to the nickel. We're not going to sign a five-year lease. We'll sign a one-year lease, one-year renewal, or two years, whatever it was. I think it was two years. And... Um, so we, we did that and, you know, immediately got in there and as saw things going in the direction that I hoped they would go. I can't say I knew they would go. No one ever knows. I would hope that they went there. 
And then it was like, okay, I got to find a piece of property that I can build the office I think I'm going to need and allow for my growth. And we brought another doc. We were going to bring another doctor in. We knew it was going to be a two doctor practice because I was working probably 40 hours chairside. I had two nursing homes I contracted with outside. And I was probably doing 30 hours a week on all the paperwork, learning to run a business, right? Because now it's just your baby, right? Your hands on the flusher. So um, I found a property down the street, turns out, this main drag. And, and it is, it's a small country town. There's two traffic lights. And you know, I went through the one traffic light and then just on the other side of it was a piece of property, it was a house that was in the commercial zone. So we, we were going to buy it and, and and redo it. And we, we knew that we bought that within 18 months. And then the plan was to add on to it, but it was in the flood zone, a hundred year floodplain. And we had it surveyed. So we went and when we built it, we put a we put a 40 by 60 addition onto the existing house and we kept the house. We should have knocked the damn thing down, but we kept the house and we put on the addition and we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go right away to, to a six operatory or six treatment room area with a central sterilization. That's hand, truly handicap accessible and has a washer and dryer so we can launder the work, you know, stuff. And knowing that, you know, kind of, this is the direction that dentistry really should be headed in. And not, you know, working out of someone's apartment, um, you know, or basement. And so that's, so that was our plan. That's what we did. Sure enough, don't we get flooded in 1994? <laughs> no, no. And then to me, 2006, we got flooded 2006. And I was like, oh, this is the hundred year flood. They're like, no, no, this must be the 500 year flood plane. I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, so it was really rattling. Cause I didn't have, I didn't have flood insurance. So long story short, we bought that property. And at that point, the loans that I had from my practice, I, I, I'm a kind of a, I hate owing anybody. So I paid off my father-in-law. I paid off the bank as quickly as I could. And I paid off my, my dad, um, you know, and then the next step was the bank. Now the bank, I've got good credit. So they're like, oh yeah, whatever you want to do with the building. So now it's a matter of how do you finance that? I really didn't want a mortgage. I really didn't want to go through all those costs. So I was like, well, what kind of, can I get a 10 year business loan? And that's what we ended up doing. And at the time I was borrowing at prime. So it was flexible, but you know, prime, not prime plus one, which is what they initially had me at in my practice. And then I, I moved, I went to a different bank um, shortly thereafter. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big learning curve, but that that's what we did. And, and the Italian background helps because we love real estate and, and the <laughs> Italian culture. So, you know, why rent when you're going to own? But the other part of it is in the dentist business, you are going to put so many capital improvements and plumbing and so many things in. It's hard to do that and then maybe walk away in five years. That's crazy. And so even, it's, it's, yeah. And even 10 years, though, you know, to put all of that in and not own it and be able to refinance or have any flexibility. Yeah. Um, right. So you you get this first practice. So what what was your experience buying your second practice? Well, my second practice was, um, okay, so let me describe geographically. So Binghamton, let's call that the city, even though most people wouldn't, but that's the city. That's central. This is about five, six miles southeast of it. That's where I'm practicing. I happen to live about five, six miles west of it, okay, a little closer to where I grew up. And so when something came up in that town, I was like, oh, I really am interested. So I went to buy that practice. 
And um, the first practice was it was an older doctor and really kind of archaic. So we were like, okay, we'll buy it, but we can't move into your facility. That was not even on the table. But we knew there was another one around the corner that was Jewel. And that was the one I really kind of wanted to get into. But I had docs with me at the time. I had a partner in business at that time. Uh, his wife was working with us and his, one of his friends from dental school joined us. Who's now probably my best friend and partner in a lot of things we do. Um, cause the other partnership that didn't work. So that, that was a, that turned out to be a buyout fairly quickly because that was a big mistake at the time. But anyway, so we, we, uh, we end up getting that other practice and now we have a place to literally establish a second location that's geographically in two completely different neighborhoods. Now we're renting there and I had a property with my sister and my dad that I said, geez, this could be a dental office, but it's not going to be big enough. So we're going to need to buy the place next to it and really blow this thing up and make it, you know, what it is now. And since that time we, we did, we bought that, I'm going to say in 96. So 91 by the practice, by my practice, 94, I moved into a, my new facility in that town. And then 96 bought the other practice and about 98 we're in a new facility over there that we own i buy my sister and my dad out and, and 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 we had to go through a few town loops but then we bought the place next to it and then we just um again we didn't knock it down we're stupid but we <laughs> built a huge addition on the side of that and made it you know made it work so so you bought a practice or you just bought a building and expanded your own practice? No, no, we bought a practice. I, I've always, in those deals, I've always separated the business from the practice and the business, excuse me, from the real estate. And and sometimes like the, the one doctor that we bought that I didn't buy the reals had no interest in, he was of the mindset, my real estate's worth everything. And, and it was like, no, no, your practice is the value, really the true right. value in this, because that's what pays for everything else. So in right. his office, and it was just, you know, paneling on walls, carpet everywhere. It was 1960, maybe that he oh. hadn't touched anything. So I was like, I'm not getting into this. Right. And you would, uh, we were outgrowing it. Why would we go there? So the other practice was in a nice location. So we could rent. And that's what we did for a couple of, and, and I knew what to do with the rental. Now I knew don't take long-term leases because you know, you're not going to stay. So we did a one year, one year renewable at our option. And then we had a couple more options. So again, we knew we were in there and then we worked diligently to get the other thing approved so we could move and then build what we wanted to. So that's what we did. So you took two separate properties and put them together? Uh, in the end, yes. I took, the, I took the one and we took that right straight down. And then we just, okay. um, we put a, a large addition on the other one. Actually, yes, I, I took the two. I took the one house down completely, kept the small ranch that I had in my mind envisioned because when I bought that, I was working as an associate and I was like, well, we could come over here because this, this is a nice area and traffic. And I kind of hoped that there would have been a change in, in the, um, what do you call them? The laws or the the rules, um, um, help me out. What's the word here? Something? The regulations, oh. right? Whatever, whatever it is, the, um, the stipulations that, well, you know, you can't have real estate, you can't have commercial here. You can only have the zoning, the zoning. zoning. So I was hoping that that would change, which it has just fairly recently, but we got some variances. So yeah, we bought the place next to it and then we tore that down and we put a huge addition on. So it made it an L shape. And if you see it from the road, it doesn't look big, but everybody comes in like, oh, this is so much bigger. And there's literally, when we finished that, we had nine treatment rooms, right? And then 
subsequent later, we ended up putting another addition on, added three, four more treatment rooms, but we really only use two now and the other is a different office. But yeah, so the real estate, you know, it's nice to be able to, to, to grow. Now you can grow your practice and you're not limited by, you know, those four walls. You know that you can be flexible because in dentistry, things change so rapidly. And if you don't have the ability to bring in a piece of equipment because you have no place to put it and then you can't touch a wall because of your, your, your landlord, it's so much better to have control over your physical plant because your physical plant supports your business. And if you want your business to grow, you can't have one limit the other. So that's, I mean, that's just my dumb thinking anyway. And that's how it works for us. So do you own the real estate and for all five of your practices? At this point? Yes. Yes. The last one. Yes. Did you build any from scratch or just yes. the remodel? Yeah. So how, yeah. how did that go? You had to get an architect. You had to get a hired I'm, GC. You know, I never hired an architect. I, I'll be honest with you. I had, um, <laughs> what I did, again, I, I, I'm never the brightest person. So what, what, what I did was I laid out my floor plan. Uh-huh. And so having done that with the first office, okay, how are we going to fit these rooms in? How are we going to, you know, what are we going to do with this addition? And how are we going to work the business area? And then now you're working in there. You're like, oh, okay, these treatment rooms, let's say they're 12 by 12. And you're like, you know, they're bigger than I need. All right, what if I went 10 by 11 or 10 by 10? And if you go to just to a supply house, they're going to make everything convenient for you to buy more supplies, right? That's their business, not necessarily efficiently functioning. So then we're like, okay, so when we did the the second office, when we added on, we changed a few of the, of the dimensions. And then we're like, okay, this works, maybe a little bit more here. And each time we just tweaked the the design. And, and if you went through them, you'd be like, oh, I can see what you're thinking here. I see what you did here. Oh, I see what you did here now. Because the last one we made is a 60 by 40, just again, just a straight 60 by 40 building. And we put in nine operatories in there. And did you it modular works. Modular furniture for that one? Uh, no, no modular furniture, just, just, you know, design and layout. It's kind of circular. So the design and the, to me, it's got to have a flow. You got to come in, you got to have an entrance point, private check-in area. Um, like to have something for the kids, either kids playroom, kids childcare room, you know, handicapped bathroom that's private. And then your treatment areas, your central sterile, and then you have an exit point that you can come private conversation. If it's financing exit separately. And with the COVID situation, it worked out beautifully because we had separate entrances and exits that we designated now. So we had a flow. Yeah. So it wasn't hard to reestablish ourselves in that. So so we kind of have kept that in mind. So from that, then we did, I did work with, um, I did work with an architect who was actually was a kid I coached when I was at dental school. I was a basketball coach and he was an architecture <laughs> student. So it was his First project was my office. His second project was my house. The poor guy should we sh- he was should have been a, a marriage counselor for that one. But uh, he 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 d- he designed it and and you know it was kind of fun because we'd sit there and at that time it was the old CAD CAM you know s- software and he would take his computer he'd truck this thing up in his little Civic and we'd sit because he was in Long Island and we would go through everything and and we just kept tweaking it tweaking it tweaking it and then. I got better and better at it by working a little bit with the supply houses, like set up these dental rooms. And then, okay, now I have it. I would, I would now show my builder who's on his third or fourth office with me. And he's like, listen, just give me the floor plan. We can build the rest. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So, so that's what we did. And we wanted to make sure we had higher ceilings 
you know, we didn't want to close feeling. We wanted nine plus in the hallways, at least in the treatment rooms, as high as we can get them, move the soffits up. And some, some designs that I thought were more for space and stuff like that. So, and then we designed the outside. So I used uh, structural engineers. Um, I used my contractor a lot and I relied on him a lot. And then we played with the design outside and it was a little bit, I take it back. I did use that architect. I used him a little bit, but not as much in the third one, which we built straight from scratch because we had an idea what we wanted. And then my builder had some suggestions on, okay, you want a covered area. Let's put a couple pillars here and let's make this for your entrance. Oh, that makes sense. And then let's make a smaller one for the employee. You know, so, so in laying it out, he had some people that did some drawings and workups and it was the guy who drew the plans from the floor plan. Yeah. So you had that plans plan. to submit to the city to get a permit. Yes. So someone had to draw some plans up. Yeah. And we, and then we had the drawings, you know, so then you have the the elevations front side, you know, all that stuff. And, and that's where you tweaked it. And it was still on a computer, so it wasn't hard to modify. Right. So for other um, practitioners out there that they're looking to, you know, start to own the real estate, you know, be physician owners and, and own, mm-hmm. own their own real estate. What are some lessons learned that you would recommend that they pay attention to, you know, before just sort of heading into the project? Well, for me, like I said, for me, the most important thing was separate the business from the real estate mm-hmm. and look at them both independently. And the, and the business is worth X and the, and the, and the building is worth Y. Now the building is going to be worth more because of your usage. And if you think you're going to get it like apples and apples, you're not because it's hard to find a dental office in that location, you know, and compare it. But you'll get some reasonable comps and they'll always be more than you think it's worth. You'll be like, oh, that's way more than it should be. But that's what it is. <laughs> you can't can't really argue too much about it. I would say, you know, once you make the commitment to buying it, make sure you have the ability to either grow and expand so don't be locked in. Don't say, well, this is max. You are at 3,000 square feet and the property will not allow for five, 300 more. You're going to be locked at some point if you're successful. You're going to be up against it. And now you got to do it all over again and move because you're going to invest a lot in all the things that make it your dental office in, in our case. Now, physicians may not be as much plumbing or as equipment, and maybe it's a little more kind to moving things around. But in dentistry, you, you really when you when you go in, you, you're all in because of the, the amount of plumbing, electrical. Like, for example, you're going to put a X-ray unit on a wall. Is it going to be a shared wall? Oh, if it's a shared wall, it's got to be a two by six. You can't have a two by four. And then, you you know, OK, are you going to have a child area? Oh, child area. Oh, we want to have a soundproof or sound dead. Oh, well, then you got to build a wall within a wall to create, you know, um, you know, uh, not not allow for noise to bang around so to speak so now your walls are not so your 10 by 10 rooms not really 10 by 10 rooms because they built another wall on top of it maybe it's nine by nine and a half and now you're really squeezed in that room so did you plan for it and then you add equipment do you have room for carts do you have enough closet storage all those things because the business changes and in five or ten years from now i'm going to be practicing completely different i need to have a facility that i can do that you know comfortably so that's what I like about it. So my advice there is make sure it's expandable and adaptable without killing yourself. And what about location? So when you when you looked at these yeah, um, locations different used. locations, uh, was it important for you to have visibility? Was it, um, yes. you know, obviously parking? Yes. yes. Um, 
And, you know, you have to consider that there's going to be snow. So you can't have a, you know, people can't have to climb up a lot, you know, up a high elevation because they'll just fall back down. Um, So all of these things. And do you like to be near a light or near like other commercial um, retail businesses? Does that matter to you? Well, to me, I, I follow Howard Ferran's models and, and what he says makes perfect sense. Dental appointments are made by the female 90% of the time. So, and where does a woman go twice a week? Grocery store. So if you're in close proximity to a grocery store, huge plus. Because, or you're on the, you're on the traffic line, the grocery store, the school, you know, especially if you have a family-based practice. Yeah. You know, you want to be convenient and you do want to be visible. Contrary to what a lot of dental pl- people will say, well, you know, you're a destination. They'll come find you. Well, there's a reason why, why Kohl's and Best Buy <laughs> and these, you know, you know, uh, you name whatever chain Starbucks. you want to think of Friday, <laughs> Starbucks, I mean, Starbucks in every corner. But if right. you went, you know, think of the just every town has them. You know, they've got, OK, there's a Dick's Sporting Goods. There's a Walmart. Oh, what's next door? Oh, next door is a Lowe's building supply. You know, it's where that traffic is. So that's one concept. But, you know, to me, you want to have it where I think you're going to get the traffic of the people who make the appointments. So we are on main streets as much as we can, even though, again, we're in some smaller towns, but we're on, you know, in one town, we literally have, well, there's one traffic light. They just added another one a couple of years ago, and that's a small country town two traffic lights. We're in a small town north of here. That's got, I think it's got about six traffic lights, but it's a, those are smaller communities that we're on the main street. So you can tell people, listen, you know where that school is? It's right there. You know, we're, you know, we're three blocks from McDonald's. Oh, okay. And down here, we're on the main street. We're right down from the courthouse. We're right across the street from the movie theater. Um, we're on, we're, we're on, you know, we're on Hooper road. We're half a block from the high school. You know, we're two blocks from the credit union. Oh, I know that credit. Yeah, everybody goes to that credit union. And there's a Weiss grocery store. Oh, there's a park right there. Yeah, we're right there. So I think that's essential. I think you want to be convenient. And you, to me, parking is crucial. You got to have parking. And I know that it's in some cities that's really hard to, to do. But and then we had the last practice that we ended up buying the, the building that was very limited in the parking and. So I've had to work out agreements like with the church and a lot of my team parks at the church, uh, the bank next door to us, and, and then the garbage and, you know, a few other things. It's, it's I want to make sure patients are not looking for parking spaces. Right. So, you know, we have to we have to modify what we do, but that's essential. It's convenience and location. Is yeah. And essential. well, and it helps you, too, to keep everything, everybody on track, because if people are late looking for parking, then you're delayed and you get backed yeah. up. Yeah. And and it's also like, you know, if you if you pulled up, right, and I'm a doctor's office and you pulled up and there's 15 spaces of which 10 are, you know, 12 feet from the from the building. And there's five or eight that are 30 yards from the building and every space that's open is 30 yards and everybody parking in another space is everybody working there. That's that's you're not putting your patients first. <laughs> right. Right. So we always park in the remote, you know, way out of the way spaces. And it's very clear. These are all for you. And I think that's that's our philosophy and our practice. So, you you know, you have to practice what you preach. You can't say, oh, yeah, yeah. By the way, Dr. Park's right here. Right. You know, no, you know, you park as far away as as the next person because your value is in your patients. So, you you know, that's how you show. I like that. 
Sunny, I would disappoint you. My husband takes over all the dentist uh, stuff in our house because his my mother-in-law was a dentist. So I think he he has to make sure that he tells her that he's getting our kids' teeth cleaned. Yes. <laughs> oh, you know, the guilt works. That's an Italian trait too. That's an Italian mother guilt. Oh gosh. Yeah. He's Latin, yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, that works. Very common. Italian and Jewish families are also very similar. Yep. That's how um, it works. So we'll move into a little bit of Q&A to get sure. to know you a little bit more. Uh, so what was your first job? My first job. Oh, boy. Well, I can't really call it that, but it was a paper boy. I was awful. My first real job that I actually did, <laughs> actually did the work I was supposed to, <laughs> was I, I worked at a, a bakery and uh, was a friend of mine. And I, I, I started working there because I used to sleep over his house. We'd go out and party and we were like, oh, hungover. And we're like, all right, let's go in. So I started working there on Saturdays and Sundays. Whenever I slept over, I knew I'd work the next morning. So then I got the job every Sunday morning, had to be there 5, 5.30. Didn't matter what you did on Saturday, you had to be there 5. <laughs> and it was just a great experience. It taught me a lot of things. Work ethic. We worked from 5 to 12, 5 to 1, 5 to – didn't matter. You worked when you were done, you were done. And you could yeah. get something to eat, but you didn't have time breaks. You weren't you know, doing anything that – Oh, you know, hey, listen, I worked two hours. I got to have an hour break, you know, oh, and have a coffee break. No, no, we just worked and had fun and um, taught me a lot. That was, and it was a great job. That was my first job. Yeah. So I'll tell you the two things I think I miss the most from the East Coast is the pizza dough. Yep. And the bakeries, especially bagels. Um, I know bakeries yep. obviously have a lot of more things, but it is really hard in Arizona to find a really good bagel. There's a couple of places, but it's still not the same. The key is the water and the makeup of the dough. Yeah. That's the key. What would you be doing for a living if you were not a dentist? I'd be a basketball coach. Oh. Hard to say I'd make a living at that, though. I'll be honest with you, because <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> but that would be a dad or a teacher, or I'd be working with, I'd be working with kids in some capacity. I just love the next generation. I just love seeing them. And that's what makes basketball so much fun. You see a kid get it and their light bulb goes off and that spark. And you see a little bit of yourself in these kids and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm helping that next generation. Somebody helped me somewhere along the line. So it's great to just give it back. So that yeah. would be it. What or who are you reading or listening to right now for news information or inspiration? Ooh, news. I try not to listen to too much news. Um, I'm bad about that. My wife's complaining all the time. Can we put something on that's the news? You know, can we get something, the news? We haven't heard the news. I'm like, come on, just just check out. It'll be on Facebook. It'll run through it. Just re yeah. watch what you want. So for me, inspiration, uh, I love, I, I follow a bunch of things on Twitter and I put a little something on my Facebook every day, a little quote, a little something that uh, is inspiring. Like today's was all about relationships and you know, not, you don't, you don't want someone who likes you, just the good in you. You want someone likes all of you and loves you for that, you know? So just little things like that. So the thing that the most, the thing I'm reading right now, a couple books I'm reading right now, I was reading um, the book Grip by Angela Duckworth, um, Atomic Habits, a friend of mine told me to read that. So I'm like 60, 70% through that one. And then I want to start reading that Michael Bennett, the new um, James Patterson book about Michael Bennett, um, the New York City police officer. I, I kind of him and Bosch. I can't read enough of those guys. And now Bosch is on TV. So that's another guilty pleasure. <laughs> so those are the things. The inspirations I look for. For me, it's people I admire. Like I talked Howard Ferrand, um, 
Gordon Christensen, some of the people that I, I, I look up to that were mentors to me. Um, I love them. Basketball coaches, John Wooden. You can never go wrong with a John Wooden quote. Um, you know, those kind of things. It just, you know, make you a better person. Yeah. What is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Every, well, I, I look up and find a positive thought and something that that something that hits me. And then that's what I share on, on the Facebook. So I, I make sure that it's something that is meaningful to me. And then I just share it with everybody. So that's something I do every day, every day, even when I'm on vacation. My wife's not happy about it, but. You got to take the bad with the good, huh? <laughs> hey, 30, at this point, right? Figure it out. I ain't changing. <laughs> Do you think a person is born with the desire to heal or um, is this only learned through their training? Like as a dentist, do you feel like you were born with a desire to help people with their teeth or do you feel? That is a great question. Are you born with that desire? This is nature nurture. Um I think you are, but I also think it can be cultivated. Like I, I think with so many people I've interviewed in different in, in their in their upbringing, you can really see. Okay, your parents were this, you were that, and they kind of help set the stage for a lot of that. But I also think if it's not in you, I think it's hard to completely manufacture it. Although I do think you can influence someone. Mm-hmm. I do, but I, I think you. The uh, the want to help somebody that should be in every, that should be innate in everybody I think which is again just a dumb thought but that's how <laughs> I feel it everyone should have that that inside them that you have to make the world a better place by helping your fellow man or woman um, so to me I think it's innate but I I do feel that there's a definite definitely a strong uh, uh, sense of being able to teach people that mm-hmm. yeah do you do orthodontics at all. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like, it's, I would obviously the dentistry for big dental problems, but I would say, I would think that, you know, especially if it's a young person getting their, you know, they come in, their teeth are all mangled. And then at the end of their treatment, you know, they have this wonderful smile and like the self-confidence that they get from that. Yeah. That kind of stuff, the cosmetics, the smile, make the makeover type of things. Like we do a mother's day makeover that we, we, they have moms that are, are, are all um, nominated by their their children, and we pick one, and we do everything, and then we usually pick another one, and we do a few things to help get them out of trouble or whatever it is. Yeah. And yeah, the the joy and satisfaction that that's because you you you've changed a life, you, yeah. you know. And and when a person, like you said, like a person with their smile, I think it's I think the the number is eighty percent of people are it's their first impression is almost based on on what they see in their smile. Yeah, and you you can pick up someone, even sometimes like their hairstyles will change. They'll cover a side of their face if they have something they don't like on, like the right side of their mouth. All of a sudden, they'll have a hair hanging down, and 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 you'll start to pick up on. Even if you're not a dentist, you'll just say it's a little different. Uh, but then all of a sudden, you you see that fix, and you know hair changes, and poof, they smile. And then, you know, it's so funny when you do a lot of these 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 kind of fix up and makeovers. Women will go back to work, and everybody say, "Did you change your hair? What'd you do? You change you change your hair? You did something with your hair? You colored it? You did something?" Every guy goes back, "Hey, you had your teeth fixed. Look at you." You know, <laughs> it's so funny, so funny. <laughs> I swear to God, yeah, they're going to tell you you got your hair done. So just tell them, you know, hey, I got my smile done. Yeah. <laughs> I got my teeth fixed. Yeah, That's awesome. Well, Sonny, this has been a wonderful interview. I really appreciate your time. This has been a oh, good my pleasure. A lot of fun. Conversation. Thank you. 
I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.